Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey guys, Ready or Not 2024 is here, and we here at Breaking Points are already thinking of ways we can up our game for this critical election. We rely on our premium subs to expand coverage, upgrade the studio, add staff, give you guys the best independent coverage that is possible. If you like what we're all about, it just means the absolute world to have your support. But enough with that, let's get to the show. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. We have an amazing show for everybody today. What do we have, Crystal? Indeed we do. Lots of big stories this week. So Sagar and I will break down how SCOTUS is going to play a key role in 2024 after Colorado, of course, attempting to kick Trump off of the ballot. So we'll get into all of that. And we have some polling about how people's initial how people are initially reacting to that move by Colorado. We also have some dramatic developments in the Middle East, um, you know, things escalating between the U.S. and the Houthis out of Yemen. Uh, So we'll tell you what's going on there. We also had to pull some of the most insane comments that are coming out of Israel. There were so many of them, it was hard to choose. And we felt we needed to devote an entire segment just to showcasing a few of them for you. So we'll bring you that as well. Also, the Democratic Party, once again, trying to cancel democracy in order to, quote-unquote, save democracy. We'll give you the latest developments there. Sagar's taking a look at the Ivy Leagues. We've got a little bit of, like, attempted holiday yes. cheer for you here at the end. We've done some year-end superlatives and that we will reveal. And they'll all be good. they positive. Yeah, yeah. We, the minute that you go negative on these this year, it will get immediately it's very dark. dark. So we're trying to look at silver linings. We're looking at the best moments of the year, what we're looking forward to, those sorts of things. That's all to kick things off. Before we do that, this is the last chance, last 
big show of the year. So if you can, if you're able to take advantage, we've got the Breaking Points discount right now for the yearly membership. Uh, we already have the Colorado stuff going on. So we promised you a crazy election and it's certainly going to be crazy. So if you can help us out for the entire election year, you can go ahead and take advantage of that, breakingpoints.com. As I said, we've got some uh, other Christmas merch, all those other things that are available on our website and we appreciate and love you all so much. One last thing, Crystal, can I yeah. just say, is that we discovered, as we had pointed out before, the number one way that our show grew by basically double this year on podcast was you guys sharing it. So if you can't afford it or any of that, if you could just do us a favor and text the show to a friend of yours, send an episode or any of that uh, that you think would be helpful to them. It really does help us out or talk us up at the dinner table. That's one, mm -hmm. one thing you could do for us, maybe, uh, this holiday season. But let's go ahead and start with uh, SCOTUS as we were talking about. There has been a lot of stuff going on in the last two days. Colorado's Supreme Court ruling 4-3 to block Trump of availability on the Republican ballot. This setting up a major Supreme Court challenge. The basis of this being alleging that he has committed, quote, an insurrection and has violated the clause of the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. So what does all of that mean? And does President Biden agree? He weighed in yesterday on the tarmac at Air Force One. Here's what he had to say. Trump an insurrectionist, sir? Well, I think it's self-evident. You saw it all. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies, I'll let the court make that decision. But he certainly supported an insurrection. And no question about it. None. Zero. And uh, he seems to be doubling down on about everything. Anyway. President Biden saying there's no question he committed an insurrection, I guess also though at the same time leaving it up to the court. This has also thrown things into the GOP uh, primary. Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, honestly a genius move in my opinion, being like, you know what, I will drop out, Crystal. If uh, I will drop out and pull myself off the ballot if they are allowed to block Trump. Now setting and throwing the gauntlet to Nikki Haley and to Ron DeSantis. DeSantis was uh, asked about this on Newsmax. Here's what he had to say. And real quick, fellow GOP 2024 presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy saying he will remove himself from the Colorado ballot unless Trump's eligibility is restored. Would you do the same? No, I think that's just playing into the left. Um, I think the case will get overturned by the Supreme Court, but I've qualified for all the ballots. I'm competing in all the states and I'm gonna accumulate the delegates necessary. That's the whole name of the game in this situation. So it would just be playing to the left, Crystal. Uh, this just does demonstrate all the difficulty of running against Trump. And I thought that those two clips actually show some of the political conundrums and dynamics that we have right now. We got the president and most of the Democrats, they agree, like I guess at a rhetorical level, a quote unquote insurrection was committed. This all actually started, you were the first person who ever showed it to me actually, of those Atlantic articles of yeah. those law professors who were laying out this legal theory. Only it took a matter of three months to go all the way to the Supreme Court, and now we're going to have it, you know, effectively has to be challenged sometime just in the next two weeks before January 4th, that's the deadline, before Colorado is allowed to implement this, and presumably the high court is going to take up this challenge. But politically, this has set up some crazy dynamics, but legally, too, uh, what we've discovered is that the court's ruling on this will set the rule for all 50 states. This is not an election decision, because if they rule uh, on the side of the Colorado Supreme Court, they would decide that for the entire country, Donald Trump is not allowed to remain on the ballot. It's probably the most significant electoral case, I think, since Bush versus Gore. And that's just the first of many cases that will be appearing before the court this year. No doubt yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, so this is not a state election law issue. That's why it would be relevant for the entire country. 
This has to do directly with this provision in the Constitution, which was originally put in place you know, following the Civil War. Um, it was used most often during Reconstruction to bar people who had you know, been traitorous against our own country from ever holding office again. And you know, just to, to give people the text of what that says, this is Section 3 of the Civil War era 14th Amendment. It says, quote, no person shall hold any office, civil or military, under the U.S., who have previous, having previously taken an oath as an officer of the United States to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. So anybody who has to be barred you know, from holding office if they engage in an insurrection. Left unsaid here is how you determine yes. if someone engaged in an Thank insurrection. You. And that has never been decided. And so in that way, I actually think it's very appropriate that this go to the Supreme Court for, you know, the not that I have a lot of confidence in this court at this point. I think it's a very partisan entity. Um, three of the nine justices actually put on the court, of course, by Donald Trump. But I do think that is the appropriate place for them to adjudicate how should this provision in the Constitution actually be applied? And, you know, there's a lot of hot takes out there. Perhaps my take is the hottest of all, which is I actually think it's a very tricky legal question. Hmm. I don't think that it is clear cut in either direction. Now, a lot of the analysis that I've seen, effectively, people who are opposed to this decision, it effectively seems like they just don't think that this should be in the Constitution at all, um, that they think it should be left to the voters. I, I think that's a perfectly legitimate point of view. Mm -hmm. It's not one that I happen to agree with. I think it's appropriate for a state to have the means to bar people who have engaged in traitorous or uh, rebellions or insurrections against the state to prohibit them from holding office. So I do think it's appropriate that something like this be in the Constitution. Constitution. But then the question, this type of legal questions this raises is, you know, primarily, as I said, who are the office holders? That was actually what the lower Colorado court got hung up on as they said, well, technically, we don't think that the presidency qualifies as an office under this particular provision. That was the piece that the Colorado Supreme Court said, no, we think by the plain reading dictionary definition, the president of the United States will qualify. Um, and then the key question is, OK, well, what's your definition of an insurrection? And what's your definition of whether someone engaged in it? And who is it up to to determine? Does it have to be determined by an act of Congress? That's one possibility. That's what some other courts have ruled because there have been something like 18 cases so far on the same challenge in different states. Yep. All of them have been rejected except for this one. Um, the other question then becomes, okay, well, does a state court have the ability and the jurisdiction to be able to rule on this question? So there are all kinds of very difficult and frankly unprecedented legal terrain here to navigate. And so, like I said, I actually I actually think it is entirely appropriate that this go to the Supreme Court for them to say, listen, this is the meaning of the text. This is how it's determined. This is the standard going forward. And also, let's be clear, it is almost unimaginable that this court is going to side with Colorado. Yeah, I, I very much doubt it. <laughs> I actually, I don't think there's a chance it could go 9-0. I, I really do believe that. Although maybe 7-2 or something like that for my court watchers. So I would split the difference. I don't think that people are saying that the clause itself is appropriate. It's just that the bar needs to be a lot higher. So for example, if we think about the Civil War, taking up arms and fighting for the Confederate states and literally fighting <laughs> against your own country. One of the reasons why they have that provision in there was specifically about people who were officers of the United States military, or take Jefferson Davis. He was literally a sitting senator for the state of Mississippi. I mean, he genu genuinely committed treason. Right. And yet, 
this is where I think treason, the word itself, <laughs> the eventual punishment for it, our public understanding of it, let's think about it. I believe the Rosenbergs were the last people who were put to death for committing treason. Uh, Bob Hansen, the FBI spy from 2000 and July 2001, I believe he also you know, could have qualified for the death penalty because he was actively caught spying for Russia, but he eventually pleaded guilty and all that. Those are about as far as I go for what treason and that should look like. And I think the but same treason, should treason remain treason isn't with, in this uh, provision. No, no, no. It I'm doesn't saying say treason. In terms of how we publicly understand it. Yeah. As in, for example, uh, Hillary Clinton going on television and accusing Tulsi Gabbard of committing treason. She called her a Russian spy. That's outrageous to me because to me, the word treason, the idea, the public understanding, the legal definition, it has to remain incredibly, incredibly high and used only in the rarest of circumstances when it truly qualifies. I think insurrection too is one there where we had a political, a civic, and a legal understanding of that time of what it means to take up rebellion against the cause of the United States and the United States government. That is not in, even close to arriving at that bar for th where I think we are right now, where I do think this comes into anti-democratic territory. Now, that being said, I agree. I'm glad that it's going to the Supreme Court, and I hope they set the bar as high as I just said, where unless you literally declare a civil war against the United States, actively use your office as a, you know, a government holder at the federal level, and you violate your oath, and you work work against those interests, you aid and abet genuine enemies to foreign governments or others. That's one separate thing. But mm -hmm. a political understanding here where we've already had the political means to deal with this, and that was called impeachment, and Trump didn't get impeached. I mean, this is something which I talked about uh, previously. People can go roll it if they want. I think it was like January 7th, maybe January 8th. I did an entire monologue about this, about why I eventually thought that the resolving this through small d democratic means to me remains the best possible avenue. I don't disagree that it's very, uh, legally we should have something like this on the books, mm -hmm. especially if we consider what the country and the environment and all of that were at the time. But there's also a reason it basically wasn't used for over 100 years. And and I don't think we're even close to anything like that, See, nor should we be. I So the definition of insurrection in the Merriam-Webster dictionary is an act or instance of revolting against civil authority or an established government. I think January 6th meets that definition. But then I so mean, does very, uh, BLM. Very I mean, does it? Because very clearly what they were there to do, and they were all saying 1776, mm -hmm. and they certainly saw themselves— as revolutionaries engaged in an act to try to, now it was Keystone Cops, right? The fact that they had very little chance of succeeding doesn't really matter though. The intent was to block the workings of our government and the peaceful transfer of power. So I don't think it's crazy to label this an insurrection. But again, I, I think it's tricky, right? The other question, there are First Amendment issues here too, in terms of whether Trump's speech that he mm -hmm. gave that day, you know, is that protected political speech? Or because he was, you know, effectively inciting this insurrection, does that then, uh, you know, get excluded from the qualification of political speech? Again, I think these are difficult legal questions, but there's a reason why, and we'll get to the polling in a little bit, there's a reason why I think a majority of the country is like, yeah, I support it. Because if you just look at the plain face reading of this text that no person shall hold any office if they have, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof, majority of the country I think looks at that and goes, yeah, that rings kind of true. Well, so that's why I think it's entirely appropriate for this to go to the Supreme Court. The reason Sagarwai said that mm. a lot of people it seems to me like they're not arguing the legal merits of the case. They're just arguing that this really shouldn't 
be a clause in the Constitution is because if you're just appealing to like, you know what, it should be the voters that decide, period, end of story. I do think that's a legitimate position to hold. It's not the one that I happen to hold, but I do think it's a legitimate position. But that means you just don't think that this should apply in any instance. Part of the reason why this hasn't been used in 100 years is because we haven't seen this particular set of facts and circumstances ever unfold before us. I just think it's, I don't think it comes even close. I mean, the reason I could say BLM is they burned down a police station. That's revolt against civil authority. But they I weren't think trying to overturn an election. But that's my thing. It'd be ludicrous to prosecute them. They should be prosecuted for property damage, not for insurrection. I mean, this is one of those where even this whole, like you said, Keystone cops trying to get electors changed and all that, that has all been dealt with at a like very basic legal matter. Rising to this, and this is the other thing about insurrection as we commonly understand it from the Civil War time period. This was legally defined by acts of Congress. Yes, by the Republican Congress. Also, I should note, much of that provision and of that time was when the Southern states no longer had any political ability to exert their will in Congress because of the radical Republicans that were in charge at that time. I'm not saying, I'm not even against that. I think it was probably a good thing. But mm -hmm. the legal understanding and the question questions around insurrection and who was a legitimate officer and whether they violated their court and what that all meant, that all changed around 1880 and such forth as we came to a reconciliation part and we moved on past Reconstruction. There's a lot of debates and things about that time at the country, but this is my point, is that the bar needs to be so incredibly high, as in like the Rosenbergs literally passing along nuclear secrets to the Russians or Benedict Arnold or quite literally uh, Bob Hansen. But treason, there's again, no question. is a different question. Yeah, but I mean, so in insurrection what, and treason in, are very in, similar. In what way is January 6th not an act or instance of revolting against civil authority? I mean, it seems to me the textbook definition of that. But then so any again, protests if you as well. No, that's not true. But it could be applied that I, way. We have yeah. not, have you ever seen an instance, maybe 2000, but have you ever seen an instance where you have people being incited by a president to go and march on the Capitol and try to overturn the legitimate election results? We have not seen that before. So to say this is just like any other protest. Mm. You know, and I know this is one of the arguments, and, and you see this from, uh, you know, some of my compatriots on the left of basically like, this is a slippery slope mm -hmm. and it's gonna be used against us. And I am sensitive to that. Um, but I do think that this is different of character and kind than anything we have seen. I mean, it was shocking to us on that day sure. when it we saw shocking. this unfolding. If you read the you know messages of what these people thought they were doing, they clearly thought they were doing an insurrection. They thought that they were revolutionaries. They believed that they were patriots in this moment, but they definitely had a revolutionary fervor and were trying to overturn legitimate election results. So are there tricky legal questions? Yes. Do I think it's difficult to say, okay, does this technically meet the definition? Does it technically meet the definition of he engaged in it or you know, was aiding and abetting it? I think that's difficult. I think the free speech questions are difficult, but I just can't see how people just dismiss it out of hand. And most of the people who I see doing that, they don't actually engage with any of yeah. the legal arguments whatsoever. So again, there is an appropriate place to adjudicate these difficult legal questions. That is the Supreme Court of the United States. And so I think it is good that this is going there now. I think it's good it's going there in an expedited fashion. I wish I had more confidence in the court, but it is what it is at this point in history. And uh, the other, the last thing I'll say on this too is, you know, some of the like, uh, the freak out, I guess, on the right over this is like, we know it's gonna be overturned. This is one challenge out of 18. It's good that he's getting his due process. This is going through the process right now. 
And you know what the end result is going to be. It's probably only going to ignore to his benefit in the Republican primary. And it's very, very, very like 99% likely that the Supreme Court is going to overturn it anyway. That Very true. That said, it's one of those moments of like, oh, wow, they would do it if they could. And I think that's where, I mean, think about it too. It's like when people freak out about an abortion law in Texas. They're like, oh my God, if these people get power, this is what they want to do on a national level. Yeah, but those actually thing. get enacted and but, have power. Yeah, on, in Texas. But they got, they got this at the Colorado Supreme Court. No, it's I mean, going to get a bit overridden. Okay, uh, let's just put it then. Uh, right wing state wants to, dec- I mean, this happens all the time. You have a Mississippi or Florida or whatever that passes some law. They know it's unconstitutional. They pass it anyway. Then Democrats are like, look what they would do if they possibly could. And then it goes to the Supreme Court and it gets struck down. These are, of course, people have a, not even a right. I think they should freak out about it just from a small d democratic level. I just think, again, to come back to the bar and what it looks like. I agree with you. It absolutely should go to the Supreme Court. I'm glad it is. I'm glad it actually will get resolved early rather than have all this stuff play out now years. I would say the same for January 6th. But Trump has never been convicted of insurrection. That's another thing, is that there was, well, it's complicated, but back in the Civil War time, there was a military tribunal and military understanding under the terms of Appomattox and the terms of, I forget where Sherman accepted uh, the other, the other surrender, but there was a commonly led understanding of the Union Army as blessed by the commander-in-chief of what it looked like and what the terms of parole. Now, these were all laid out at the time and such that you stayed within that. You would no longer, you know, you could be eventually rehabilitated and Congress itself could decide that you were no longer and you were able to run for election. This is all long, you know, Reconstruction era stuff. We haven't had a single one of those types of understandings with Trump, which is, again, why I don't even think it comes close to the bar. What to you, in terms of like, if something, if a different set of facts had unfolded on January 6th, what to you would meet the bar? So if our Congress passed a law that said January 6th itself was considered to be an insurrection. So you think this should be in the hands of Congress? I think it should be in the hands of the commander in chief and of the Congress. We should commonly come to an understanding of which, and then should then be challenged and tested within the court where we can have a genuine understanding and have a total democratic buy-in. This act was itself an insurrection. So to as you, the it's, union not, it's not necessarily that January 6th doesn't qualify. It's that you don't think that the Colorado Supreme Court is the appropriate no. venue to determine. Oh, absolutely. But you, yes. if, if the Congress had passed an act that said, yes, January 6th mm-hmm. was an insurrection, you'd say, Absolutely, okay. absolutely I would, just as we did under Reconstruction, as we understood what rebellion was, as we understood what Confederates were. This is about both democracy, about law, and about the way that we, I mean, let's let's go to, go to the next one here, please, so we can put this up on the screen. This is why I do think it's complicated and it gets to what you're talking about, which is that the Supreme Court about being disqualified for insurrection, and they specifically point to people like Zebulon Vance in 1875, Great who idea. was a genuinely unreconstructed Southerner and Confederate who is disqualified from holding office. And this gets to the question then of how it's interpreted in the modern era. And actually, Colorado is not the first time uh, that this has, that this has happened to them. So let's go to the next part. You found this, where the presidential hopeful shows that a naturalized citizen who wanted to run for president, despite not being American born, lost his bid. Why? Because he contended under the Constitution's requirement that the U.S.-born provision violates equal protection rights under the 14th Amendment. This is something that Jenk has put forward previously. A magistrate judge actually ruled that it did not affect the validity of the Constitution's distinction between natural-born and naturalized citizens. He eventually appealed that decision, and a panel of the 10th U.S. Sort of Appeals backed the judge who found that the state has a legitimate interest in leaving him off of the ballot if he cannot assume the office. This gets to a little bit of the interpretation yeah. of that 14th Amendment. Let me explain why. 
why this matters and is relevant to this particular case. It's because um, one of the legal questions here is whether the state courts are the appropriate venue to decide constitutional ballot issues. So even though this is a different constitutional ballot issue, in this instance, not only did the uh, did the original, the Colorado, I believe, state Supreme Court decide that, yes, it is an appropriate venue for us to decide. We have an interest directly in deciding these constitutional ballot issues. But the other thing that's interesting is when it went up to the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals and they agreed with the Colorado State Court, guess who was on the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals? Uh, Niels Gorsuch. Right. So that particular legal question, that's why that's relevant here. Now, yes. there are a host of other legal questions as I've been discussing. The First Amendment issues, what is an insurrection? How do you determine? Is this provision of the Constitution what they call self-executing, meaning that you can just apply it based on its you know, sort of plain-faced meaning? Or does it require an act of Congress in order, as Sagar is suggesting, that's what he thinks it should be at least, mm. that it requires an act of Congress to set forth, okay, here's the definitions, Here's how it um, here's how it operates. Here's how we determine, et cetera. Again, all of these things are sort of open ended because we have so, had so little precedent in terms of using this provision um, after the Civil War. So, um, you know, it's as I said, I do think it's a complicated legal question. I don't think that it is like easy. I think these are tricky things. But you know, when you look at the just basic definition, if you look at the plain English uh, language interpretation of what this provision says, it does seem like it applies. To me, it does seem like it applies. I think, to me, January 6th, I think it's very easy to classify it as an insurrection when you consider the intent and what the people involved were in, in understanding their, uh, their business on that day, what they were up to on that day. Obviously, Trump was, the whole reason they were there was because of Trump, right? So I don't think it's crazy to look at this and go, yeah, this is appropriate. And again, I come back to I think it is also appropriate to have a provision like this in the Constitution. I think a state has an interest in protecting, you know, the, protecting the country from people who have attempted to subvert it in the past. I think that's like a basic sort of tenet of statehood. Frankly. I, I don't disagree that it should. I mean, at a certain point, whether we agree or not on the Constitution doesn't matter because it ain't going to change. So it's there. The 14th Amendment is a long time, test of time. So it is what it is. As for the intent thing, though, this is where I just disagree. Because, for example, if I join a cult and I kill somebody in cold blood or I uh, killed somebody because of my religious beliefs. Am mm -hmm. I going to get prosecuted for religious crime, especially if it doesn't fall within their hate crime provision? No. Even though that would be that would be defined as a religious act of war, whatever you could want to call it rhetorically, I would be prosecuted under the state of Virginia or D.C. or wherever I happen to reside, and I would kill that person. They would prosecute me for murder. If it fell within a hate crime provision, then they could add on, you know, whatever. These are well commonly understood within statute of which they can be applied and adjudicated through the legal system that have now stood the test of time forever. You know, a common understanding of something like a hate crime, for example, I mean, that stuff gets thrown around all the time. There's a reason that the judge gets to actually rule as to what it is and what it's not. We could sit here on a news show and call something a hate crime. That's fine. It's within the First Amendment, but that's not how the law works. So I just think saying like how it appears, you know, based on our individual understanding, that's not how, you know, interpreting the Constitution 
the law, nor should it work, both from a civil code and a criminal code. It's like well within an actual understanding through the legal system. So I guess the one thing- There's actually quite a lot of precedent of using the dictionary definitions of terms and even looking back at what was the dictionary definition of the term during the time period when this amendment was instituted to try to determine what was the yes, meaning, plain face meaning at the time. So it's not like you have to be some secret decoder to figure things out. Different judges apply this differently. Some of them do take more of the like secret secret decoder approach. That was, I mean, for example, it feels preposterous, the lower court ruling that the presidency is not an office of the United mm-hmm. States. You look at that and you're like, what? That's ridiculous. But, you know, if you look at this provision versus that provision and maybe at the time and they should have specified it in particular. And, you know, there are other courts who have thought that as well. And that part is sort of in dispute. So there are different ways of analyzing this. But I just want to point out that it is not unusual or, um, you know, out of the realm of what's appropriate. Just look at the dictionary definition of these terms and what the people writing, you know, this text at the time, what they would have thought that these words mean. Yeah, well, that this you now you're opening up originalism and interpretation and living constitutions yes, and all this stuff. There other, are many schools of thought stuff. on how to do I'm this I'm sure the lawyers here are tearing their hair And out. let's also be clear, like yeah. I've said this many times before, all of that sort of goes out the window because of the partisan nature of the courts where, you know, I have no doubt that when it gets to the Supreme Court, they're going to find whatever legal rationale that they want to do what they want to do. And they'll sort of fill in, you know, backfill the um, legal justification after the fact. So it's not like I think that these people are all like just calling balls and strikes and trying to faithfully apply some sort of an approach. Not at all. But there are plenty of instances where just looking at the dictionary definition is actually how people approach these rulings. And, you know, we really are in unprecedented territory. We haven't seen something like what happened on January 6th before. We haven't seen a president like Donald Trump before. We haven't seen, you know, this set of facts and circumstances in quite a long time. So again, difficult decisions, and I think it's appropriate to be left to the Supreme Court. It'll be fun. Uh, uh, Crystal, I'm looking forward to hearing and seeing what happens. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee 
Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Let's go to the next part here, and this is the political question, which I think is uh, easier to talk about. Let's go and put this up there on the screen. Democrats actually supporting the Colorado ruling 84 to 8, independents 48 to 35, Republicans who oppose at 66 to 24. So the overall support number stands at 54, oppose at 33. Keep in mind, this was a relatively quick one, sample of 3,400 people from YouGov, but still significant. The very first poll that we've actually seen on this direct question of the support for the Colorado court ruling disqualifying Trump from the primary ballot. Let's go to the next part here, please. Um, And this is important as well, is that this has now put forward a political campaign on Democratic states. Lieutenant Governor of the state of California is now writing to the Secretary of State, Shirley Weber, to explore every legal option to remove former President Donald Trump from California's 2024 presidential primary. I would expect in the coming days that almost every uh, Democrat or at least hard blue state is going to try and pursue this in terms of their lieutenant governorships. Of course, it will eventually get uh, adjudicated at the Supreme Court level, uh, but they will try to get it to be done. It does show you, though, that this is tremendously politically popular uh, with a lot of the Democratic Party and, frankly, not not even particularly injurious whenever you look at the independent number Mm -hmm. and the Republicans. And I think that's where, Crystal, we can agree at least on this. Is I mean, I think on a question like this, the public opinion actually doesn't matter because this is a legal question, but uh, because people are probably looking at it in the way that you are, is like, did he do it or not? And most people do think Trump, at the very least, most people think Trump acted badly on that day. And yes. I think this is probably the lens of which they're looking at it. They're like, yeah, I would agree with that. Something like that. I, yeah. Maybe they don't necessarily understand the legal ramifications of everything we're talking about. But as an actual political question, I think that they can. I, I, I think this fits even the Republican number, uh, the 24%. Yeah, that was, exactly matches. That. But it exactly matches the number of Republicans in a recent New York Times Santa poll who said that Trump shouldn't be on the ballot if he's convicted. Yeah. So it's, it, it's the same thing. It's just people who, you know, within the Republican Party, the Nikki Haley voter who's really consolidating right now and really actually like doing pretty well in New Hampshire. Yeah. I think that's where it comes down. Yeah, there yeah. is a very normie reaction here of like, yeah, January 6th was bad and maybe it is appropriate that, you know, we take these sort of extraordinary measures against him. And just looking at the text here, that seems like it fits. Mm-hmm. So I was actually surprised, though, that the numbers were this strong in favor of it, just because it is, you know, it is an extraordinary move. There's no doubt about it. it is a dramatic move um, to take a leading president, the leading presidential candidate off the ballot. I don't deny that whatsoever. So I was um, I was actually a little surprised to see a 20 point margin in favor of uh, that court decision. And in particular, I mean, I wasn't surprised at all to see 84 percent of Democrats support it. I wasn't that surprised to see that a plurality, 48 percent of independents support it. I was surprised to see that basically a quarter of Republicans are like, yeah, I think that's appropriate, given the fact that Trump is still such a dominant figure within the Republican Party. I wonder if that number will move as the um, news cycle really kicks in and the very, very clear and hard partisan lines on this question sort of kick in. And if there's more of a a rally to, you know, a sort of like tribal instinct or or partisan rallying around what this question means, I wonder if you don't see that support on the Republican side dip. But um, I was kind of surprised by this instant poll reaction myself. I thought that there would be, it would be more of a 50-50 split on 
this question. I, I would have uh, assumed so too. Although, I, I mean, I don't know. It also is one of those where on January 6th, you saw Republicans are like, yeah, he acted badly, but I also think he's the best candidate. So people have complicated feelings about all of this. Inconsistent, yes. People are deeply inconsistent, uh, which is part of the why it's fun to cover politics. Let's cover this next one up on the screen. 53% uh, previously had support, for example, the prosecution. Crystal, that almost exactly matches the number um, who support the ballot, uh, barring of the ballot, which yeah. is why I think it's all coming down to a question of like, do I think Trump acted badly? Yeah. I also will say, for all the stories that we do here, which are totally legitimate and which I genuinely still believe, I think Trump does have, you know, I would give him the edge, even though I think it's near a coin toss, is this is still an albatross around his neck. Yeah. Most people, the more the question of like, do you like Trump and do you support, you know, or his personal conduct or January 6th, anything related to stop the steal, we've seen people like Doug Mastriano, all these other, Carrie Lake and many of these other places, they lost big in deep red country when a generic Republican was doing very well on the ballot. So I would not count this an abortion out that could still sink him at the end of the day. Yeah. And Trump is his own worst enemy. For example, remember Sean Hannity kept trying to get him to endorse mail-in balloting during his town hall, and he just wouldn't do it. Yeah. He, 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 in some, he, when he has a religious belief in his head, as he does that he believes the election was stolen from him, he will never drop it, guys, ever. And so if somebody's gonna challenge him on it, poke him, Biden or somebody starts to get on that, he'll give his rant about Dominion voting systems. You know what was interesting to me? Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this poll floating around, but there was a, a Des Moines Register poll, this is like a very high quality poll of Iowa caucus goers. And they asked them all these different, like very inflammatory comments that Trump has made. Like, does that make you more likely to support him? Less likely or it doesn't matter. And the headline from this was that his comments about poisoning the blood of America uh, make more Republicans more likely to vote for him yes. than uh, less likely. It was 42 to 28. But actually, there was uh, the one that had the most negative impact on Iowa caucus goers was a little surprising to me. Mm. It was 2020 election fraud justifies terminating parts of the U.S. Constitution. Right. That was overwhelmingly negative. There were only 14% that said it made them more likely to support Trump. And there were 47% who actually who said, this makes me less likely to support Trump, which, you know, I, I just, I found that interesting. It was, like I said, it was surprising to me. It also made me feel like maybe Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and co have been too nervous about talking about any of this. I mean, this appears to be the most damaging comment that he's made. And I haven't heard any of them bring it up really at all. So there's that, but it also does show you that even within a Republican base that overwhelmingly does think that the election was stolen, um, there is a discomfort with the level of disorder and chaos and certainly a direct attack on the Constitution um, that Trump has floated in the past. Yeah, definitely. I think that, I mean, look, it, it's the reason why is that people who even, let's say, for at least most Republicans I know, with people who are like, yeah, the election was stolen, they don't mean it in the way that Trump actually means it. They're like, well, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, censored the Hunter Biden laptop story. And that's election interference. I'm like, yeah, I mean, conceptually, yes, but that's not what Trump is saying. And I think that having to often grapple when it's truly like in your face and sometimes with Trump makes people uncomfortable. That said, I still think people, a lot of people are ever gonna vote for him. Uh, I'm not quite sure I agree though, because with DeSantis, he's got to win over Trump voters too. 
Nikki Haley has always been just an anti-Trump candidate. She has a return to yesteryear. So of course, she's gonna get yesteryear type voters. But if you actually wanna win an outright majority, that would require winning actual MAGA people. And MAGA people support Trump as a cult of personality. Let's not even put aside like anything that, you know, whether they support or believe anything. It's more about protecting him, the individual. Yeah. That's where, they've always been in a tough spot. I I just thought it was possible. I I always thought it was impossible. Like I, from the beginning have said like, I don't think that there is a strategy Mm -hmm. that they could deploy that would be successful, and I still think that that is the case. However, polling does at this point show that this is actually more, not his election fraud claims, but the chaos and the lawlessness surrounding those election fraud claims are more of a liability for him with Republicans than I had really thought. That's, I guess that's what I would point to, and I would also Mm -hmm. say, like, listen, DeSantis tried the tiptoe around criticizing Trump thing and how's it working out for him? Yeah, but how's it I, working out for any of it? How's it working? I mean, the the most sort of like shameless sycophant is Vivek Ramaswamy. What's he at? 5% right now. So it's true. not like the strategy of just pretending like Trump doesn't exist or more or less praising him and occasionally throwing like a little sideways jab at him. It's not like that was successful either. So they may as well have Actually, Ron DeSantis losing to Chris Christie in uh, New mm-hmm. Hampshire right now, which is pretty extraordinary in and of itself. Yeah, well, that's a whole other uh, conversation, <laughs> I think. Anyway, uh, we wanted to also give people a taste, too, of how this is us might boomerang out on Joe Biden and on the Democrats. Let's take a listen to what the Texas lieutenant governor had to say. Seeing what happened in Colorado tonight, Laura, makes me think, except we believe in democracy mm-hmm. in Texas, maybe we should take Joe Biden off the ballot in Texas for allowing 8 million people to cross the border since he's been president. Uh, disrupting our state. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, don't, don't threaten me with, there with a good time, I mean, <laughs> sir. <laughs> removing Joe Biden from the ballot. <laughs> it would be. I, honestly, it would be fun. Uh, well, look, we'll see. I do think this is certainly going to open up a can of worms. Although at the same time, if, the, if SCOTUS just kills a can of worms, then we're probably going to be better off. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 
24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Why don't we talk about broader war? All right. So we've had a lot of big developments with regards to Israel, and in particular with uh, the Houthis' attacks on shipping in the Red Sea, which has had massive reverberations in terms of global economic activity, in terms specifically of Israeli economic activity. And uh, the Houthis, they're leaning in hard. Go ahead and put this up on the screen. They just released this new, very highly produced propaganda video. You can see them, you know, in these boats. The water looks beautiful. They're, you know, have all their weapons. They're doing their military trot, whatever that is, the official name for that is. Um, we can go ahead and take, <laughs> you, you, I think you get the idea here. Yeah. And uh, I talked a little bit about this before. You know, this makes all the sense in the world for uh, the Houthis strategically, because uh, one thing that unifies, you know, most everybody in Yemen is support for the Palestinian cause, opposition to Israel. It gets to show them, you know, taking on the biggest bad guys from their perspective in the world. That would be the United States of America. And frankly, giving us a real bloody nose in the process. So the U.S., because of what uh, an extraordinary impact this is having with, by the way, and we'll get to this in a minute, with very low-cost weaponry that the Houthis are deploying here, um, our Defense Department has now announced a new effort to try to curb these attacks. Let's put this up on the screen. So they have announced the creation of an enhanced naval protection force operating in the Southern Red Sea in an attempt to ward off mounting attacks from Yemen's rebel Houthis on merchant shipping. Lloyd Austin, U.S. Defense Secretary, said the new effort will be called Operation Prosperity Guard Guardian was necessary to tackle the recent escalation in reckless Houthi attacks originating from Yemen. Other participants in the effort, and this is noteworthy, included Bahrain, Canada, France, Italy, Netherlands, Norway, Seychelles, way to go Seychelles, and Spain. <laughs> new, new coalition of the willing here just yes, dropped. I was like, wow, Seychelles, congrats. Why that is noteworthy is that there were a number of our other close Arab allies in particular, Egypt and Saudi Arabia, you notice, are not part of that coalition. So I think this shows a few things. Number one, this is in and of itself escalatory. The fact that we are getting more engaged, that we are contemplating direct attacks on the Houthis, that we have this broader military presence, this creates more possibilities of a bigger spark and a conflagration. So that's the most important thing to keep in mind. Number two is, once again, it's humiliating that this is the coalition, that these are all the countries mm -hmm. with all of the money and all of the things that we do to try to keep these people on our side. And when we come to them, we're like, we need to do this thing to protect global shipping. They're like, no, because we, we showed you on uh, an earlier show this week that U.S. support, like U.S. approval rating in the region has fallen off a cliff. Joe Biden has like a 6% approval rating in the whole region. Every country that's associated with us because of our unconditional support for Israel, their approval ratings in the region have fallen off a cliff and it's put them in a precarious position with their own populations. So it shows you how weak we are too um, in terms of you know what we're actually able to put together and to respond to this. Yeah, it's very interesting. And also you were talking about the asymmetric piece. I wanna spend some time on this because it's yeah. something that highlighted. It's actually even more stark uh, than I had laid out previously. Let's put this up there. Uh, this gives people a taste. There is a $2 million missile that we are currently using to shoot down $2,000 drones. They say that the shortest range options are the evolved Sea Sparrow missile designed to fire at targets less than five nautical miles away. Costs $1.8 million per shot. 
for targets inside one nautical mile for another weapon system. Let's go to the next part here, please. And they say, by contrast, experts are now estimating the Houthi one-way attack drone, primarily Iranian-made, costs just $2,000. The larger ones cost $20,000. So just let that sink in. Their most advanced attack drone, which has now disrupted tens of billions of dollars of cargo and added untold millions of dollars in gas for the amount of fuel that these companies have to pay to now go around the Horn of Africa, we now are seeing that it costs $2 million for each one of these missiles. And it demonstrates why terrorism is very often a very good trade on behalf of people who just have the will to be able to subject yourself to a $2 million missile or possibly get wiped out by a U.S. carrier. Because if you keep it going for long enough, you can cause some massive and serious damage to the overall global economy. Right now, today, it is the most significant shipping crisis since Ukraine. And I know that's not a very long period, but I mean, pre-Ukraine, that was, I mean, it's probably the biggest disruption to global shipping in modern American or modern global history. I think since the fall of the Soviet Union, we've never seen anything so crazy like that. We're having really a poly crisis in shipping. There is Ukraine, there is now the Red Sea, and actually there's a drought in Panama. And there are uh, yeah. sea levels in Panama right now in terms of <clears throat> the ability for the super tankers to go through is, uh, I think, it's lower than normal, which is causing all kinds of chaos inside the Panama Canal. This is causing huge problems right now for Egypt in terms of their revenue. They could go broke if they don't get the fees that they normally yeah. do for the Suez. So there's all kinds of crazy 40th order effects that are a result of this policy. And I do think this is the single most precarious choke point because one attack drone kills one wrong guy, one U.S. sailor, That's right. one British sailor. That's it. Game over. And we're the in more, no situation. The more we involve ourselves yeah. here, the more targets there are. There, are, the more possibilities there are that one of our men and women gets killed uh, in this operation. So this is tremendously increasing the risk. And I'll get to in a second the fact that now we've got a bunch of like hawkish national security, like former CIA Democrats who are like, this thing we're doing with Israel is not in our national security interest whatsoever. Um, but the economic impact is already tremendous. It's tremendous globally, but for Israel in particular, it is pretty devastating. Put this up on the screen. This is a report from Haaretz on the economic war. Their headline here, Houthis open new and dangerous front in Israel's economic war. Attacks on Israel-linked ships threaten a key route for Israeli exports and imports. Fortunately for Israel, global trade is also at risk in the Red Sea. And the reason they say that's fortunately is because it's dragging us into it. So that's why it's a good thing for them. Um, the Houthis have said they're most they're targeting Israeli-linked ships or ships that are heading to Israel, but um, the, the linkage has been a little loose thus far. That's why the imperative to have this like global response to protect the shipping lanes. They write in this piece that the Houthi attacks are pinching Israel's maritime trade. Cargo traffic at Eilat port is down by 80%. 80%. The cost of marine insurance, this is also really important for Israeli-owned and now presumably Israel-bound vessels, is soaring. Companies like Israel Zim are rerouting their ships away from the Red Sea, having them go around Africa instead, a change that adds two weeks to the voyage, 
All of this will add to the cost of imports, which will be passed on to the Israeli consumer. And they also said it's reasonable to assume that many foreign shipping companies are going to opt to avoid stopping in Israeli ports altogether to avoid the risk of their vessels being targeted. So uh, Israel, obviously, the war has imposed a tremendous economic cost on them from the number of reservists that they've called up. You know, it really has sort of stopped the regular economy. Also, any tourism obviously mm-hmm. is basically stamped out. People are mostly not going about their normal lives, so spending is way down. I saw they're expecting the Israeli economy to shrink by a 15% annual rate in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a, that is a huge number. They both face immense short-term costs. So think we've talked about it before. The war costs something like 100 to $200 million a day, just in terms of paying all these reservists. Then uh, they've got one of the largest internal displays uh, how, how would you say it? Displacement. Displacements. There we go. All right. My language is back. Mm-hmm. The largest internal displacement, I believe, in the history of the state of Israel mm-hmm. because you have all of the people near the Lebanese border and near Gaza who have been resettled and they're paying for all their hotel bills. So you've got huge portions of the country of where people have been uprooted from their homes inside of Israel and who are not staying in Tel Aviv or any of the more metropolitan areas. So that costs a ton of money. Then all these prime-aged working males are in the military. They're in reserve. They're not working their jobs. Then you've got all these Palestinians who and Arabs who were working and coming across the border in Israel who are now no longer coming across. So you have a major poly crisis, I think, yeah. for the Israeli economy. That's on the short term. And then on the long term, look, they've already said, we're not going to let any of these Palestinians back in anymore. I mean, that was thousands of people who were working in day laborers, or, you know, any kind of lower end work. They're like, well, maybe we can bring people in, bring people in from where? And it's Israel's a tiny little country. So then you'd have to worry about housing. I mean, there's structural problems, I think, right now, economically, uh, and also in terms of their employment and workforce, especially too, it looks more and more likely to me, and I've, I've seen a lot of speculation around this, uh, that they are going to have to militarily occupy Gaza for at least some time, right? That's going to take a tremendous, tremendous amount of people in the Israeli army. Those people can't return back to work, let alone you know, uh, continue to run their business, and that puts the country continued in a wartime footing for quite some time. So this could seriously cost them uh, for a long time. And I would urge them to think about that too. Here's the other thing that Adam Tews was writing about, which is that, you know, listen, capital has no loyalty. Of course not, yeah, no. So they're looking at not only this war and, you know, the massive shipping catastrophe and the fact that everyone in the world is like opposed to what's happening there except for us apparently, they're thinking about also the, you know, the tumult in the country with Netanyahu in charge before the war mm-hmm. and his corruption and his attempts to overhaul the judiciary and the fact that you had these mass disruptive protests for months and months on end. So there was already a pullback of capital and a foreign direct investment in particular. This is only going to accelerate that. I mean, you know, there's a, a, a grassroots boycott, divestment, and sanction movement that seeks to sort of like take capital away from Israel. I'm sure it's had very minimal impact, frankly, yes. on the Israeli economy. This is like a sort of a capital strike mm-hmm. that they could be facing because this cap, they just want to make money and they're not going to want to put up with risks and chaos and, you know, psycho like reactionary right wing governments and the tumult that it's creating. So it really does create a long term problem for them. And you might say, well, OK, we threw the entire like actual economic sanction playbook at Russia and they've been more or less OK. Mm-hmm. You know, they spun up a war economy and things haven't been amazing, but they've they managed to hold on. They had spent years preparing 
for potential levying of sanctions. And their economy was structured very differently. Uh, the Netanyahu government had intentionally relied aggressively on foreign direct investment in order to spur and build their economy. So they have much greater exposure here in terms yeah, of the economic They're not impact. even remotely the same. Russia yeah. has a population of what, like 100 million, maybe more people. They have a vast expanse. They have a huge amount of resources. Israel is like a tiny sliver of the Middle East. They don't have the same level of access to ports that they control. They don't have a real navy. I mean, I could go on forever in terms of uh, they don't have an industrial base. Their population already, they've mobilized the entire thing. They are relatively at the limits of that for the amount of more people that could, they could bring in. I mean, it's totally and completely. It's much more like Japan or Taiwan or any of these other island nations which rely dramatically on foreign capital and on foreign resources to be able to keep their basic like Western way of life going. So it's just it's not even remotely the same. And it does demonstrate a lot of the precarity that they're in yeah. right now. Because remember, ultimately, you know, I mean, economic pressure was part of what led to the South Africa apartheid regime. And so the fact that you have this amount of potential economic pressure being applied possibly in the long term, I mean, that could be uh, a you know, pressure point for the Israeli government in terms of the decisions that they make in the future. Um, I teased this before, put this up on the screen in terms of these I was shocked to see this letter based on who has signed off on it. So this is Chrissy Houlihan tweeted, I'm calling on the Biden administration to use all of our nation's leverage to shift the Israeli military strategy in defending itself against Hamas. The humanitarian crisis in Gaza is unacceptable. And, and this is the key part, not in line with American interest. The signatories here, Jason Crow, Chrissy Houlihan, who I just mentioned, Abigail Spanberger, shocked at that one. Mikey Sherrill, uh, Seth Moulton, and Alyssa Slotkin. So these are like former members of the military, former uh, former agents in the CIA, who are saying this. We got something's got to change. This is a disaster. Now they claim they care about the humanitarian piece. I suspect much more that they are concerned about the devastating impact this is having on our national security and the fact that it is putting our people at greater risk, our unconditional support for Israel. Let me just read you a little bit of this letter. They say, uh, Dear President Biden, we are deeply concerned by Prime Minister Netanyahu's current military strategy in Gaza. The mounting civilian death toll and humanitarian crisis are unacceptable, not in line with American interests, nor do they advance the cause of security for our ally Israel. We also believe it jeopardizes efforts to destroy the ter terrorist organization Hamas and secure the release of all hostages. So take that in. They're saying that the approach is actually hindering the ability to eradicate Hamas. This is something we've been saying from the beginning. This actually creates more radicalization. And you can look at our very recent track record, or you can go back a lot further and look at that track record as well to see the way that these actions will almost inevitably create blowback and increase the radicalization that you are trying to root out. So the fact that these very, like, I would describe them as not even normie, like sort of more right-leaning mm -hmm. Democrats, more hawkish Democrats, are now like, whoa, whoa, whoa something's got to change here and change fast. That was very noteworthy to me. The only thing I would speak up on their behalf is that all of them were at least involved in some way in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I don't think anyone who served in that war can't help but look at some of the parallels yeah, and, be like, and some of the this differences. Is, this is idiotic. Right. What's going you on here is a disaster. urge people to do? People should go listen to uh, Tim Dillon. He was recently on Joe Rogan. And Tim was a parent. He was talking about, in his hilarious way, he was a former Iraq war supporter, mm. uh, actually, in his oh, old days. And he gave some of his perspective about Israel and Gaza and all of that. 
that. And he, the reason I think so is that he'll both make you laugh and make very deeply profound points at the same time. And he made a lot of what we talk about here, but he did it a lot funnier than me. <laughs> right. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Let's move on. As I uh, mentioned before, there have been so many just utterly insane and gaslighting and wild comments coming out of Israel that we felt the need to devote an entire segment to them uh, to go through some of the highlights. This will not be a comprehensive survey of the list of wild comments that have been made. But just to give you a sense of the discourse that is coming from not just like random Israelis, but from political leaders with power, from journalists and analysts who are on TV all the time. Um, I want to start with this one because this one was in many ways like the, the wildest, although it's a pretty good competition here. So this is the deputy mayor of Jerusalem. She's responding to the reports that we covered here that the IDF had targeted and killed two Christian women at a Catholic church in Gaza. And so she's being asked about this. Just take a listen to what her response is. Take a listen. Why is it necessary, it is reported, to start shooting, having snipers outside a church? I don't, I saw the reports this morning. Um, The church, there are no churches in Gaza, so I'm not quite sure where the report is is, is talking about. There's a Catholic church in there, isn't there, that is- Yeah, unfortunately there are no Christians because they were driven, driven out. Well, there are, respectfully, there are Christians because I spoke to an MP yesterday who has family members in the church who are Christians. Well, I don't know what happened. I don't know who was attacked. I didn't see the report. Amazing. There are no churches in Gaza. Yes, there. She just is denying reality. 
to try to avoid the implications of what the IDF did here, which is what the Pope described as terrorism. There are no churches in Gaza. Uh, yeah, actually there are. Well, there are no Christians in Gaza. Well, actually there are. Oh, well, the report that I previously claimed that I had seen, I actually didn't see that report, so I have mm. no idea. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, Ed, this is, look, I mean, one of the reasons I think, I, I also want to highlight this too, is because I am so deeply annoyed by this idea that, you know, Israel and Netanyahu, or even Israel and the far right are one and the same, and that we are not allowed to criticize or to look at this country, which has much more robust debate about itself than we are allowed to have over here. And people rightfully, I think, can demonstrate and understand that, you know, criticizing a political party or a particular strategy does not mean that you are against the entire country's right to exist or any of that. And I think a lot of people also want to deny about a pretty decent segment of Israeli politics which agrees with some of these statements, which are, I think, antithetical to our ends and their ends. But their ends are their business. They can decide. At the very least, though, we need to have a full visibility into what they want and what they are saying. And I think it's pretty unfortunate because if we paid better attention, especially to in the age of translation, of Google Translate and all that, it's not difficult to suss out. This is a Western country. They have sets just like this in Tel Aviv. They're sitting on them and talking about it in Hebrew. You can go and look if you want. And if that's too hard for you, you can read the English Israeli press, which often translates that all for you. And yet we try to get all of our, a lot of people, especially who watch cable, so much of it is filtered down through so many levels. You just have a totally hijacked and different view of what it all looks like. You think everyone, I honestly think you would think that everybody is eminently reasonable in Israel and then everyone in Palestine is like some, or everyone in Hamas in Gaza is like some sort of Hamas flag-waving terrorist and all that. It just like couldn't be more further from it. There's all the nuance in it is completely lost. The other thing is, uh, I want to play you the next mm. one, but if you heard uh, any Palestinian or Palestinian support Order, mm -hmm. saying some of these things. Like, everyone in this country would know about it. Every politician would be getting asked about it. It would be played on a loop. And yet, these things are, like, said in the open, commonly in Israel. And our politicians just pretend like they don't hear it, they don't see it, and that it's some just, like, purely targeted ethical mission and war that's being engaged in in the Gaza Strip. It's just, if you listen to their own comments and then look at what they're doing on the ground, it becomes undeniable what is happening in front of your eyes. So here's our next example. This is an Israeli journalist, Shimon Ricklin. He says, I am for the war crimes. I don't care if I am criticized, and I honestly don't care. Uh, he goes on. I am unable to sleep if I don't see houses being destroyed in Gaza. What can I say? More, 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 more houses, more buildings. I want to see more of them destroyed. I want there to be nothing for them to return to. In the Torah, it says uh, they must return to the salt of the earth and they must complain. This is why we cannot reach a solution. And that is what war crimes mean to me. Uh, so I'm for the war crimes. You know, I appreciate the honesty, actually. And this is uh, something we've talked about, something Daryl Cooper talks about. The, uh, the far right in Israel has always been much more upfront mm -hmm. about the project they're engaged in, about what their goals are, about what they actually want. And I think this man is being very honest about his perspective here. By the way, um, someone pointed out, and, uh, and I confirmed, he's wearing a pin there in that segment. It's a Stern Gang pin. So to give people a little bit of the sense of the history here, in the early days of the um, sort of like colonial period of the founding of the state of Israel, 
there were a number of militias. The large ones were Haganah, which was the more like labor-affiliated one, the Ergun, which then becomes Likud. And the Ergun was already like, you know, they committed all kinds of terrorist acts. They were already very far right. The Stern Gang was the ones that were to the right of them. They called themselves terrorists. They referred to themselves as terrorists. They actually sought to come to some sort of an allyship with Nazi Germany because they thought the Nazis were uh, less of a threat to Jews than uh, Britain. Mm -hmm. So they sought multiple times to come to some sort of a deal and accommodation with Hitler and the Nazis. Um, they advocated for mass expulsion of all Arabs from Palestine and from Jordan. Their publications uh, openly talked about a Jewish master race, contrasting the Jews with Arabs who were seen as a nation of slaves. So that's that's the pin that he's wearing as he says that he's for the war crimes. Yeah, I mean, look, it's kind of like Ukraine, where the uh, honesty around these countries and their, what is it? The honesty around their countries and their political constituencies and who matters and who has power with the neo-Nazis. I mean, a lot of people here just simply don't want to uh, acknowledge it. And that's the issue, is that you can separate this easily from the state, from its people, and from what is actually has support. But you were right in, in this, that if Palestinians or Arabs and all those were, well, I mean, look, also you can go find those videos too if you want about Arabs and Hamas leaders and all those saying that about Jews. But you're right in that there is a lot of disparate coverage in the way that it ends up uh, showing up in our discourse, especially amongst our elected officials. Oh, for that's sure. That's very true. So uh, let's go next to, the. We met this woman before. Her name is uh, Daniela Weiss. She is the head of a Zionist settler movement. Um, and she was interviewed by Isaac Chotner previously. She's the one that said effectively like, yeah, we're building settlements because the U.S. and others want there to be a Palestinian state. We don't want there to be a Palestinian state. And then she said, it is a very simple thing to understand. Again, honest, appreciate that. Um, let's go ahead and put her up on the screen about what she wants to happen in Gaza. So she says, Gaza must be erased so that the settlers can see the sea. She goes on, the situation needs to end. What we did in northern Gaza, we must do it south of Gaza, evacuating Gaza of Arabs and building Jewish settlements in all of Gaza. So making it pretty, pretty clear here. She says the settlers, they want to see the sea. And in order to see the sea, all homes in Gaza must be destroyed. There are no homes or Arabs left in Gaza. This, she says, is a logical and uh, romantic demand. That is mm -hmm. her perspective, is that Gaza should be, you know, the parking lot image of Gaza. And again, just laying it out here, what she has an idea of what she wants the day after conversation to be like. And you wonder why Netanyahu is so, like, reluctant to come forward with what his plan is, it's because people like her are an important part of his uh, electoral coalition, of his governing coalition. Incredibly important, as Glenn points out. Israelis, when speaking in Hebrew, are often more candid and truthful about the real goals in Gaza than their American supporters in both parties are. And this is the settler issue, is one that has been long condemned by bipartisan administrations here in Washington. It's against our official posture from the State Department. It's so much so that President Biden even imposed sanctions or entry delay on people who espouse this or have been involved in violence from entering the United States. But, you know, the political circumstances right now of the time are basically like, are you with them or are you not with them? And I just don't know why it's so difficult to even parse through this and just be like, well, you know, definitely 
uh, you know, think it's horrible what happened on October 7th. I definitely think Hamas needs to go. I think your military strategy is bad. I think some elements of your society are totally out of control and you should probably, you know, do something about that at the very least just for international cooperation perspective. I also think this is why Netanyahu's uh, position is just so terrible, both for Israel and really for the long-term uh, prospects of the nation is because by fusing himself with the state, he has made it here in this country too, such that criticism of him is being called anti-Semitic. Well, a lot of people are just going to be like, okay, I'll take that trade because I dis disagree entirely. That erodes long-term support. And then same here, where if he's so politically held by these people in his political constituency, then how exactly are we supposed to ever see this come to an end? Yeah. That's that's my problem. And uh, Danielle is not alone. Put the last, the tear sheet that we have at the end, put this up in the screen. She's not al the l alone in wanting to, you know, destroy all of Gaza and destroy all of the homes. Uh, this was an Israeli politician on uh, the radio. He is David Azuli, the head of the town of Matula in northern Israel. He called on Israel to forcibly eject Palestinians in Gaza to Lebanon, flatten the besieged enclave, and turn it into a museum, just like in Auschwitz, the, of course, concentration camp in Poland. Quote, after October 7th, instead of urging people to go south, we should direct them to the beaches. The Navy can transport them to the shores of Lebanon where there are already sufficient refugee camps. Then a security strip should be established from the seat of the Gaza border fence, completely empty as a reminder of what was once there. It should resemble the Auschwitz concentration camp, of course. Uh, 1.1 million people, 1 million of which were Jews, were killed by Nazi Germany in that concentration camp. And that's what he is yeah. saying he wants to see in, what was interesting, in Gaza. Actually, is Auschwitz came out with a statement. They say, memory of victims of Auschwitz has at times been violated and instrumentalized in various statements. David appears to wish to use a symbol of the largest cemetery in the world as some sort of sick, hateful, pseudo-artistic symbolic expression, calling for acts that seem to transgress any civil, wartime, moral, or human laws that may sound as a call for murder of the scale akin to Auschwitz, puts the whole honest world face-to-face -face with a madness that must be confronted and firmly rejected. We do hope Israeli authorities will react to such a shameful abuse as terrorism can never be a response to terrorism. I thought that was pretty significant to come from the Auschwitz Memorial itself, who they do not let, I also want to make it clear, they basically just protect the legacy of Auschwitz. They are not political in, mm. in any way. They only come out when people either mistakenly refer to Auschwitz or use it in this context uh, to protect- they want something else to be turned Protect the memory of the people who all died there. And if you ever get the chance, I highly recommend that people go and visit, or any of the concentration camp sites in Poland in order to get a, a view, to see it for yourself, and also to understand where uh, they are coming from too. And I, I really do respect them for coming out and seeing something like that. The last one, Sagar, I thought yeah. you would enjoy in particular because this, well, this, this is the, the girl boss, yeah. uh, Israeli minister. This is the woman who is the Israeli Israeli minister for the advancement of the status of women. So a little bit of uh, identity politics being played here by the Netanyahu government. Let's see what this enlightened liberal feminist has to say about what she wants to see in Gaza. I don't care about Gaza. I literally don't care. For all I care, they can go out and swim in the sea. I want to see dead bodies of terrorists. Whew. So there you all go. Right. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Um, the last thing I'll say on this, Sagar, of why I think these things are important too is because there is a long, like multi-decade attempt to paint Palestinians as the sole obstacle mm. to peace. There is no doubt that extremists on the Palestinian side have blocked, for example, the Oslo Accords, mm -hmm. um, have been opposed to it, have sought to undermine it. But when you hear these comments, 
And when you read the Likud party charter, which talks about from the river to the sea, when you see Netanyahu out bragging about thwarting a Palestinian state and saying, hey, you got to stick with me if you want to block a Palestinian state forever, this provides some context of the type of viewpoints and analysis that are not just present, but quite dominant in his political coalition, which is governing the state of Israel right now. And if you're not dealing with that, if you're not reckoning with that, then you're just living in a complete fantasy land. And the results you're going to get are going to match the like, you know, total disconnect from reality that you're working with. Yeah, this is another issue I have too with a lot of older politicians and even people who don't understand the country is they use Biden in particular lives in like a Golda Meir Israel. It's like, bro, that's been less 50 years away. And look, America's changed a lot in 50 years, but not even close to as much as the amount of demographic change that they have had versus what we've had actually makes our immigration problems look very different just in terms of their makeup, their politics, where things have gone. And I think that's actually one of the bigger problems that we face in this is that people who may have gone in the 90s or in the 80s, I'll tell you what, I see this a lot with India. For example, a lot of people who immigrated to the United States from India in the 80s have this idea of India as like this led by the Nehrus and the mm -hmm. Congress party. Yeah. And then they go back and they're like, what the the hell is going on here? I'm like, yeah, the country changed a lot ever since you left. It turns out that when there's a new party in town, the entire civic understanding of the country change in a single generation. Yeah. That doesn't really happen here, but it does happen in the rest of the world all the time. And so you have to update your understanding of that. And that's something that a lot of politicians refuse to do. Even though we're living in 2023 and you can go watch it all for yourself right. on YouTube. If you care to. Yeah. yeah, and that's the other thing is this whole freak out about like, oh my God, the kids on TikTok, like yeah. their views are so different. It's like, yeah, because these videos are getting views on TikTok. Well, and they have no no individual understanding of the time period I'm talking about. Because I'm even just on the cusp of like, I remember the Aud Baraks and all mm -hmm. those other people yeah. who were in charge, but the vast majority of my life has been spent under this type. And I can vaguely remember some of it. I mean, if you're 10 years younger than me, you can't remember Forget any it. of that. It's, yeah. It doesn't even exist. That's very true. Yeah. That's a very good point. All right. All right, let's move on to uh, other threats to democracy. We discussed the concern about Trump's name being taken off the ballot in Colorado. Well, the DNC, man, they're just- They're, they're just the same thing. Yeah, I mean, they're just not even hiding that they want to cancel democracy in terms of the Democratic primary. We've got more states that have just decided, even though we've got Dean Phillips, we've got Marion Williamson, we also have Jenk Uger, even though there's you know constitutional questions around his bid, he does have opponents, and they're just canceling primaries in states with no real reason. Put this up on the screen. This is from Marianne. She says, the DNC is at it again. We discovered the Massachusetts Democratic Party intends to include only Joe Biden as their primary candidate on the Massachusetts ballot. Um, she goes on to say that the Dem chair there's misplaced attempt at protecting Joe Biden robs Massachusetts Democrats of their voice and choice in the upcoming election. This action is a flagrant violation of DNC rules and process. Uh, she goes on to explain, I want to read this because this is specific to the Massachusetts process. She says, I've actively campaigned in Massachusetts. The Secretary of State has the discretion to include FEC filed candidates who have received national media coverage, which I have. She definitely has. We hope Secretary of the Commonwealth will protect Massachusetts voters from that state's attempt at cir circumventing democracy. Massachusetts not alone. Let's put this up on the screen. These are the states now that have just said, yeah, we're just going to anoint Joe Biden. Don't want to hear from the voters. Don't want to even get them a, give them a chance to, you know, cast a ballot. Don't even want to pretend like we're doing anything other than just giving Joe Biden our full support. Um, Tennessee, North Carolina, 
Massachusetts, and as we had covered before, Florida. Um, so this is pretty wild. Like, Democrats claim to be wanting to protect democracy, and they're running to protect mm. democracy, et cetera. I mean, this is without any sort of recourse, no court process whatsoever, just we're not going to have a contest. It's also we're not going to have an election. Because Biden is winning by 70 some percent in the primary. So why don't you just let that go? Why don't you just let the vote happen? He can get 75%. He can be coronated after he's won the election. There's no reason to even do it. It's just to set the precedent of like nobody is allowed to dissent mm -hmm. at all. The last national poll I saw only had Marianne at 13% and Dean Phillips at five. So it's like, why do you even care? Yeah. Why do you care? I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it seems preposterous that yes. they would be worried, but I, I do think that they feel more fragility uh, than they probably should mm -hmm. just because, you know, they see the polls of people overwhelmingly like, we want another choice. Is there another choice? And so I think they're fearful that if there's a recognition that, oh, you actually do have other options and there is an actual weighing of like, all right, well, who are the candidates and what do I think? And do I want to go in another direction? I think they're very fearful of that dynamic playing out. And so that's where these incredibly heavy-handed tactics come in. And, and let's not forget also, I mean, there have been heavy-handed tactics from the beginning just in terms of rearranging the primary states to front-load the ones that Joe Biden feels most secure in, uh, South Carolina, first and foremost. Now, that's created some problems for him actually in New Hampshire, which has in their, uh, I think, I don't know if it's a law or constitution, mm -hmm. that uh, they have to be the first in the nation primary. They're going forward with it. Joe Biden is not going to be on the ballot. There's like a write-in campaign for him. But that actually created more of a risk for him than there would have been. So in a certain way, their heavy-handed tactics have kind of like backfired. It's manifesting the thing that they're terrified of. Uh, Dean Phillips weighed in on this as well. Man, there have been some hatchet jobs on Dean Phillips lately, too. We're going to get into that in a minute. The uh, his, his caucus, his fellow caucus members, are furious with him at stepping out, at out of line. Uh -huh. He says Democrats cannot be the party of democracy while shamelessly suppressing it. President Biden and party leaders must be on the record about whether they support the suppression of Democrats. No wonder Americans under 30 plan to vote for Trump over Biden by six points. Damn. Yeah, I, I mean, look, good for him, and he is kind of laying it all out on the line. We should <laughs> highlight, I think this probably gets to what you're talking about, is that they don't want any outlet, especially now, for some of yeah. the anger over Biden. You found this particular <clears throat> clip. Uh, NBC News interviewed some young voters who said that they won't vote for Biden. Let's take a listen. Do you plan on voting for him this time, Laura? Uh, no. No, not, not anymore. The 23-year-old was part of the surge in young voters in the liberal Dane County that helped Biden flip the battleground state three years ago. He's now angry at the president over his support for Israel's invasion of Gaza. He is allowing this war to happen and, and is funding this war. I don't know what will happen if I don't vote for him, but I know it won't be me supporting that. On climate, uh, on COVID responses, you could tell he, his and his administration were doing uh, really great work. But I think after October 7th, the question became a matter of, of human rights. Interesting. Yeah, so on Israel, but you know, there's a lot of other reasons. You're already seeing some discontent, I think, on student loans or, for example, that was just on the left. So these people, who do you think? I think they'll probably vote for Cornell West or something, or maybe just not vote, period, um, which is a totally fine choice. I think, I think not yeah. voting is probably the most right. likely scenario. But, I mean, that is the reality is outside of the Democratic primary, they are likely to have other choices on the ballot. Mm. I just saw a Quinnipiac poll come out, and the numbers with 18 to 34-year-olds are pretty stunning. So uh, Biden is at 33 percent with 18 to 34-year-olds in this Quinnipiac poll. Trump is at 20. Uh, RFK Jr. is at 24. Mm -hmm. But Cornell West is at 6. Jill Stein's at 10. 
Wow. So, yeah. And, you know, it, it was also interesting to me, um, black voters in this poll. So you have 61%. Think about that with this supposedly rock solid constituency, only, quote unquote, 61% backing Biden, 4% backing Trump, 15% with RFK Jr., 10% with Cornell West, 9% mm -hmm. with Jill Stein. So people do have other outlets if they just cannot stomach what they are watching unfold before their eyes in Gaza with our full support and backing. The, our bombs stand made in America being dropped on these babies and these children. They have other options. And so, you know, I mean, you have people in the Biden campaign who presumably know how to read a poll and see the way that I'm sure it's not 100% because of Israel, but the time period in which support among young people has fallen off a cliff corresponds very closely with October 7th and what has unfolded since then. You know, they have to realize this is a gigantic issue with them, for them. And, you know, what they're hoping is, and I was thinking about this after we had our conversation about mm. Trump's, like, poison in the blood mm. comments or whatever— what they're hoping is that he says more stuff like that and people go, you know what, I got it. Like, this guy is just too terrible. And that's I a got, good bet. I got to vote for, I got to suck it up and vote for Joe. That's what they're hoping for. But remember, they have to basically like run the table on that. They have to get everybody to make that calculation and not bail out and vote for, you know, Coronel West or Jill Stein or someone else that's on the ballot. And I just don't know if that works this time around. Now, to make the counter case, um, in that New York Times-Siena poll that we covered, it was interesting because among registered voters, Trump had a lead. Among likely voters, so they apply their like likely voter screen, they actually had Biden with an edge of two. And among people who voted in 2020, who like actually voted in 2020, and especially among people who voted in 2022, Biden had a huge lead. So among people who are the more reliable voters, his calculation is basically working out. So in any case, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, you know, I think it does expose part of why they're engaging in these very heavy-handed tactics, even though you would think that he would look at these polls where he's up tremendously and be like, oh, I've, I'm got, I've got this. There's yeah. nothing to worry yeah, about. Yeah, I, I think it more is about denying an escape valve of some kind for yeah. any of the discontent that's been brewing now that's right. for some time. And that's, uh, fundamentally, that's very undemocratic. The last thing I wanted to show you here, I mentioned this, like, absolute hatchet job on Dean Phillips, who, you know, I think for people in D.C., Democrats in mm -hmm. D.C., like, it's one thing for a Marianne Williamson. Right. It's she's not one in the thing system. for a Cenk Uger. They're outside the system. They already see them as basically, like, right. traitors to the cause, right? So when they jump in the race, that's that's one thing. But for Dean Phillips, this, like, centristy, normie Democrat who is an elected member of Congress to come out and run against Joe Biden. Apparently, people have a lot of feelings about that. Put this up on the screen. This is from Axios. Here's some of the on-the-record quotes that they got from his fellow party members in Congress. Um, Representative Robert Garcia called Phillips' campaign a total joke, very disrespectful of the president and the party, saying he's torched his reputation. Steny Hoyer, Dean Phillips is not going to win any primary. I think he's not helpful to the country. <sighs> Sidney Camlinger Do Dove, I don't know, I brutalized that. Sorry, <laughs> Sidney. He seems to be taking a page out of the Trump playbook. It makes me wonder if he's a real Democrat. One senior House Democrat described the feeling toward Phillips within the Democratic caucus as pure hatred, saying many members are pissed about his attacks on Biden. And you know where this energy comes from, Sagar? Hmm. It's embarrassing to them. Yes, it is. Because he's right. He's right that Joe Biden is a terrible candidate, that they are risking the party and the country's future 
by staying lockstep behind him. His criticisms of Joe Biden are by and large accurate, and they feel humiliated that he actually has the guts to say it and to actually do something about it while they just sit there, you know, sniveling and privately like being worried about how the election is going to go, but totally unwilling to step out of line. I think it will be, uh, I think it's, yeah, I mean, bad, bad. It also shows you how much of a risk it was for him. I still don't quite understand it, uh, given the fact that he also, he's not even going to run for Congress anymore. Maybe he was just done and he wants to plant a flag and he genuinely believes it. So more power to him, but it shows you too, like when you're in the system, and you violate uh, the tenets of it by speaking out oh, the basic truth, even though it knows everybody's true, they will come out and they will absolutely yeah. destroy your life. Look, he won't even be able to get a lobbyist job after this. I hope he's rich. I don't know what his personal net worth is. He is, is. rich. Okay, good, good. He'll be <laughs> he all right. He is rich, so he all does right. have a, a safety yeah. net there. Yeah. Uh, but listen, I want to give him credit. And I don't even really care. I don't know, I don't know him. Um, you know, I thought he was, we had a, a feisty exchange, mm. but I thought he was like perfectly, you know, nice and seemed like a, a genuine human being when I met him. But I don't even really care about his intentions. Good for him. It takes courage to do this. Mm -hmm. And we've seen how hard it is to go against the people that you're working with day in and day out. And he actually did it. So kudos to him. We can have a disagreement about policies and back and forth, although I will say he just signed on to Medicare for All, which I was happy. Oh, that was interesting. Interesting and happy to know. But, um, you know, we, we need to see more of that willingness to step out of line from these just like archaic, sclerotic, broken uh, party systems that have completely done a disservice to the American public. Yeah, agreed. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. All right, so what are we looking at? Well, there's been a massive debate in this country in the last few weeks over the Ivy League, especially after the university presidents refused to say calling for the genocide against Jews did not per se violate student code of conduct. 
The debate has a couple of elements. First is the free speech implication as to whether such a statement should constitute harassment. The second is about hypocrisy of these institutions. Unquestionably, they would of course answered in the affirmative if the group was, say, black people or trans people. Now, those who have watched this show already know what I think. I think their answers were actually correct. I think I don't think any statement should be barred within a First Amendment framework unless it does go in the direction of actually targeting an individual student. That point should be that the entire diversity, equity, and inclusion regime, though, is illegitimate and dumb. That no group of people, period, should be, quote unquote, protected. A new front has now emerged in this war to get these presidents fired, and that is going after the academic credentials themselves of Harvard President Claudine Gay. Now, almost immediately after the hearing controversy, the Washington Free Beacon's Aaron Sabarian reported that significant portions of Claudine Gay's entire thesis appeared to have been copied and entire paragraphs from other academic work claimed as her own. Now, despite the frankly pretty good evidence that she did in fact commit plagiarism in her thesis, the exact act which many Harvard students have now been expelled for over the years, Harvard has stood by her. They don't want to bow to the cancellation mob. This has only since heightened the effort to review her academic record. More recent examples actually show further the extent of the alleged plagiarism within her thesis. The Free Beacon again reports, an official academic report has now been filed against Claudine Gay with the Harvard Research Integrity Office detailing over 40 cases of alleged plagiarism. The funniest case actually is that Gay appears to have lifted entirely a section of acknowledgements in her thesis from someone else's dedication. But this is where I actually wanna stop for a moment and make a point to try and connect it back to the free speech debate. The entire so-called plagiarism scandal is itself a smokescreen. The problem with her is not that she is an imperfect academic, it's that her entire brand of academia is a farce and a fiction. As I jokingly remarked on Twitter, or X as they latest uh, have called it, when this scandal hit, It's impossible to plagiarize when your entire discipline is fake. Gay herself is an original of the anti-racist school of thought. Her entire thesis is racial gobbledygook that I had to go through, talking about taking charge, black electoral successes and the redefinition of American politics. It's written in 1997, and the entire document is basically dedicated to making the case of quotas and legislatures and judges who are black in some sort of older school justification for DEI and affirmative action decisions made in the post-1965 era. Really, the point I want to make is this. The problem isn't the integrity of the academic work. Just the work itself is bad. Gay herself is the poster child of everything that has actually gone wrong with Harvard. She is not a real academic. Instead, she previously was the dean of Harvard Faculty of Arts and Sciences program, where they promoted her to president. This is how they bragged about her accomplishments. Quote, she created an expansive initiative on inequality in America, oversaw hires intended to bolster Harvard offering in the areas of climate change and ethnic studies and sanctioned several well-known professors accused of sexual harassment, without due process, by the way. In other words, she was a BLM hall monitor, as proven by her statements August of 2020, when she was the DEI dean at Harvard. She said, our engagement in anti-racist action and the infusion of inclusive practices into all aspects of our teaching and research mission reflect a new sense of institutional responsibility and require sustained effort over time. So again, I have a message to those who are involved in this fight. The problem is not Claudine Gay. The problem is the whole 
system. If you want further proof of destructive ideology and how it goes through these institutions, consider, as my friend has pointed out, all seven of the Colorado justices who ruled on the Trump ballot were appointed by Democrats. The only thing that distinguishes the four who ruled to remove Trump is that they all attended the Ivy League for law school. The three who dissented are Denver law graduates. We have two ways that we can go in this moment. You understand the destructive, destructive effect of elite systems themselves that produces and promotes Claudine Gay's or you try to get a scalp in the name of guarding against fake accusations of anti-Semitism. Bill Ackman and his people want the latter, and I want the former, and I think it's time to very much reframe the entire message around this. I'm curious what you make of this, Crystal. I've been very annoyed because I feel like people are becoming fake hall monitors, and they're like, well, she didn't improperly. I'm like, I don't care about that. That's not the problem. It's like with the genocide comment. It's like, oh, so now we're just supposed to put Jews in the marginalization category. This is all, this is an invented scandal, in my opinion. So it's like, if you want to criticize DEI and go after the system and all that, I'm all on board. But unfortunately, I don't really see a lot of that. Well, I mean, that's why I'm so furious with this. It's just very clear that the people like Chris Rofo, who are most associated with opposition to quote unquote DEI or identity Mm -hmm. politics, like now that it's a different group, they don't actually have like consistent principles. And Rufo was very open and upfront about the way that he wanted to plant this plagiarism story in mainstream media. He actually tweeted, we launched the Claudine Gay plagiarism story from the right. The next step is to smuggle it into the media apparatus of the left, (laughs) legitimizing the narrative to center left actors who have the power to topple her, then squeeze. So just so you know, you, you do have to give it to him. No, like, like <laughs> listen, maybe so. Okay, but you know, the plagiarism yeah. stuff is legitimate, right. and so I guess you know, even though it came from a bad place, we should still look at it. But mm-hmm. just be aware, it's not like this is like a good faith attempt to ensure academic integrity. They're pissed off that she said no. Actually, if you are pro-Palestinian and you, you know, are at a march or you're doing a chant or whatever, and you're not harassing or bullying or hurting anyone, you have a right to do that. She stood up for free speech in the way that conservatives have been asking these presidents to stand up for free speech. And the minute that it was a group that they had a different feeling about, they turned on a dime. Mm -hmm. So that's where this whole conversation comes from. And I think it's very important for people to understand the context with which these charges are being leveled. This is my thing too. Just for we understand. It's about principles and systems. If you wanna talk and critique about them, that's fine. But trying to work in this individual way, especially, look, I, you know, I respect some of Chris Rufo's work, but part of the problem I have is that he's willing to sign on you know, to somebody like Ackman, where I don't think Ackman is even working towards the same end at all. I mean, Rufo, look, to be transparent, has always been after DEI. He's just a lot more, I guess, like politically savvy. I just can't Yeah, but not on this that. one. Well, I mean, I mean, he wants well, he so I mean, wants Jewish people to have a special car mount where it's the rules are different. I mean, that's why he's going after. Barry I actually Gay. don't think he does. I think he thinks Ackman and this latest, latest crusade is a useful idiot, and this is a tactical defeat. And this is kind of what I was doing. This but that's ridiculous for. because now you're just what you're pressuring is for someone to come in who is more censorious, yeah, I agree who is you. more committed yes. to the things that you supposedly oppose. So it's preposterous. I'm with you 100. percent They disagree with me. They're like any scalp is good. It just shows the system that they. Have have to, you know, it's like F, fuck around and find, I guess we're behind the paywall, fuck around and find out um, that you can do that. I, I don't think that's going to happen at all. I think the net result will be worse. They just, the, their tactical thing is like, is if you can get a scalp and you can show that the right has power, then they'll try and, you know, come to us. Yeah, and, what has that power, what has that power gotten them? What it's gotten them 
is more like pro-censorship wins than the left was ever able to accomplish. I mean, they did more to enshrine and guarantee there will be more censorship on college campuses. And, you know, the next time that a college student feels unsafe or whatever, that they'll have more avenues to pursue that. Well, That's what they're winning here. I don't think it's fair to say than the left has ever accomplished. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Absolutely. You, you think that anti-Semitism, at, which one is at, as bad as the at, BLM one? Just look Not at what close. happened here. Just yeah. look at what happened here. She yeah. in, uh, These presidents, they instantly caved the minute that there was a backlash to them saying, well, actually, the context of the speech matters. And no, if it's not bullying or harassment, like that was the right answer. And so even after BLM and the left mm -hmm. and whatever, whatever, these presidents actually had the right answer on free speech. And that's gone now. They all capitulated. I would put it this way, is that I still do believe that it absolutely is the case if you said that about black or trans people that you would be gone at Harvard tomorrow. And also, the fact is that they said did came to But the said what about black or trans people? Because well, that's if, the other piece, is it's not like anyone was calling for genocide. So, I agree. That, about, so it's preposterous. Well, yeah, but under their definition, if I say that little kids shouldn't be plugged full of hormones, they'd be like, you're anti-trans and you're calling for a transgender. If I think you should ban 18-year-olds or anyone under But give 18, me an example of that actually happening, where someone said something that was uncomfortable. I mean, there may be uh, examples of that, but in this instance, they gave the right answer. That can be used then in other instances. Well, you said that this was the context here. So over here, now that someone is saying they're saying, like, then you make them commit to the words that they've already put out there. But to then demand censorship in the interest of, well, you would have censored here, so I want you to censor mm -hmm. across the board. That's stupid. I'm not it's even ridiculous. I, I agree with you completely. I, that's why I, I did this entire monologue. Because I'm like, guys, it's not about that. It's about the whole Ivy League. It's about this whole corrupt system. But And I, I don't think, unfortunately, they, don't, they care much about that. I would like to see things change completely, we would move much more in the direction of instead of having hearings about, for example, what is your code of conduct policy on anti-Semitism, I'd be like, yeah, how much are you guys, how much money are you guys making? How much head fund dollars are moving around here? Maybe we should pay some taxes on that. That's what they actually fear, just so everybody knows. Yeah. In terms of uh, going after profits and, hey, how come you guys have more administrators than you do students? That's pretty interesting. You're making these people completely bankrupt and you have no share in any of their futures and yet you're all building, you know, I should send you this, uh, from the Wall Street Journal. Do you know where all these new student dollars are going? To granite countertops in dorm rooms. Now, I had a 100-year-old dorm. It was such a piece of shit. And I'm not saying necessarily that's a good thing, but I mean, the idea that everyone should go into deeper debt so that I could have slept in a nicer bedroom and had access to a lazy river and all these other student services is preposterous. So look, this is again a question about systems, what's upholding this entire thing, what real fights, questions, and all of them are about, and differences in tactics. So well, uh, I, yeah. I do think we agree at least on I mean, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is like, we may not agree on yeah. this part, but this is basically like capitalism applied to the university system. The students become the customer. They put into, why did they put into place these perks? To try to attract the student body mm -hmm. that already has money. Why? Because they're the ones and their parents who are more likely to give yeah, them yeah, more money right. for the university. That's yeah. the system that you're talking yeah. about. But you you know, on the core level with all of, all of this, I honestly, I just want to say, I don't know if she's a player. I didn't look at it. Mm -hmm. I literally haven't read the stories because to me, I can't get past the fact that there was this fake outrage over things that students didn't even say with regard to genocide. And then, you know, moments later, they're backing dollars for bombs to be dropped on kids in what many scholars are saying is actually a genocide. To me, I just can't get past that and what it says about the insane priorities and like decrepit, ridiculous, absurd system of distraction 
that we have instead of any form of like democracy or actual interest in what would be good for the people. So I can't get past that part of the story to even engage with like Chris Rufo's plagiarism uh, thing. That's fair. I will say CNN covered it and they even said that she- That was his goal. He said, let me get um, this into mainstream media and then we'll squeeze. Hey, so I guess it's working. You Congratulations, Chris. He is good at what he your, does. Uh, your quest for more censorship is working out. All I right. hope you're happy. Let's move on. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. All right, so since this is the last show of the year, it's been a tough show already, right? We've had debates, we've had discussions, we've had disagreements. We had to find a way to wrap things up in a good direction. So last mm -hmm. time we did the superlative section, uh, we had included some worse things and all that, but this time we decided, you know what? If you devolve into anything negative, it's just gonna get a downer, and why, why end the year on such a note? So everything from this moment forward is gonna be a positive superlative about something that happened this year. So first we're doing best moment. Crystal, what do you got? Yeah, so um, for me, best moment of the year was when the UAW, after their historic stand-up strike, was able to uh, obtain extraordinary gains from all of the big three automakers. It's now set up, set off a wave of organizing among automakers that are not currently unionized, including Tesla. And perhaps the cherry on top, the sweetest moment of them all, was when Jim Cramer, who had been trashing them, trashing the president, Sean Fain as a Marxist, telling the car companies they should just ship all their jobs to Mexico, when even he was forced to admit that the auto workers had won. Take a listen. I think that the UAW was underestimated the whole way because 
I Fain just beat them everywhere. It was very much guerrilla action. It was very smart. They were completely, uh, uh, they were outgamed at every turn. I mean, it was almost like there were, they were, an, that Fain was a great NFL coach who really figured out all the weaknesses of the other team and just came in and blew them away. Um, they were blitzing. They were doing everything <laughs> right. I mean, they had like linebacker and corner blitzes and safety blitzes. And, you know, they like the, the other guys like the like I love I love Farley and I love Barr, you know, you know, and I think that they were. Well, what happened? They were in the wow. What happened camp? And you know, the, when the game was over, it, it was just a real beat down, real beat down. Um, I love at the beginning, Sagar, when he's like they were underestimated. It's like by who? By you, more than anyone else. That goes unacknowledged, though, but still beautiful to see that moment. Yeah, mine is a good old-fashioned, clean, fun, united America in hilarity and horror and schadenfreude, and that was uh, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert at Beetlejuice. I mean, who who cannot help but laugh at this woman just making an utter and total fool of herself (laughs) in public, vaping, getting kicked out for groping her mate, then saying and denying, actually, that she acted this way, forcing the employees at this theater to then leak the condemning video of this to uh, local news. And this one went everywhere. It was all across, everyone's speed. It hit the normie star. I even dressed up as Beetlejuice um, for Halloween as a uh, tribute uh, to Mrs. Bobert for reminding me. Mm-hmm. Rewatched the movie, so thank you. Uh, I've only said Beetlejuice one, no, twice now uh, in this block <laughs> so, so far. So there were a lot of great jokes. There were just, there were too many good ones uh, that happened as a result of this. So for me, it was just good old clashing. Good old-fashioned clean fun. Feels, feels like a throwback to more innocent time. I agree. Time I agree When completely. we could cover things like that yeah. and not have to be like, you know, right. is are we watching an ethnic cleansing? Are we watching a genocide? It, it feels good to, to nostalgically yes. relive uh, Lauren Boebert's night out there at Beetlejuice. And you're so right that this really did land with a oh, an audience. Everybody, yeah. Now, I still maintain that I actually am in support of more representation for trashy hoes everywhere. Uh, I would like to see more of this on, you know, among leftists, among my, you know, my political ideology. So let's go for more. No. Tra- She's actually a grandma, too. More trashy grandmas. Oh, my goodness. You know what? Uh, Kyle and I covered the uh, the Pornhub map that came out. Apparently, there's been a huge surge in interest in grandma porn and uh, GILFs, which people can probably interpret them. Maybe Lauren Boebert sparked that. You know, I'm just connecting. I'm just connecting the dots now that perhaps she was the spark and the interest for the uh, rising grandma porn. She's only six years older than I. Oh my god. Okay, all right. That's a whole other conversation. All right, next question. We won't judge people's Uh, personal decisions. What do we have? uh, Okay, next we have, what are we most excited for about 2024? And mine, I just said pure chaos. Yes. At this point, I mean, listen, Biden or Trump or both could die. Mm -hmm. Someone could get thrown in jail. Someone could be impeached. Someone could get kicked off the bat. I mean, we just don't even know. And not that I'm saying any of these are good things. I'm not saying that whatsoever, but... At this point, I'm just sort of like in the, I guess we're going to have to embrace the embrace the suck, let it burn, whatever, because I think it's going to be an insane year, and it's very hard for me to come up with something that I'm genuinely, like, affirmatively, mm. positively excited about. One of the most uh, frequent questions we get is, uh, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with a job? And to be honest, a detached curiosity has been the way that I've uh, eventually landed on. That's the only way I think you can actually stay sane and do the job. And, uh, yeah, that's why for pure chaos, you can't help but have some a little bit of excitement about it. I love history. I j- it's very rare for people to actually be able to know in the moment that you are quote unquote living through history. Mm. I think most people through the 90s 
They probably thought they were, but unless it was the fall of the Berlin Wall, or well, I guess I was 89, so even then the fall of the Soviet Union, something like that, yeah, most likely things are going to pass you by. But with you know, with Ukraine, with so, it, just in the years that you and I have been doing a show together, I mean, what think about the things COVID. we've covered: COVID, a pandemic in the hundred years, January 6th, uh, all you know, the latest, the Ukraine war, Israel and Hamas. I mean, so many of these things, and then now to just know to be on the precipice of this, I can't help but feel some excitement. At least I get to live through something crazy and help make sense of it, of the world with all of you people. So for me, that's an exciting thing. All right, Sarah, um, what about you? What do you mine got? Is, uh, once again, I mean, can't help, had to put a UFO thing in here. Let's put this up True there. Uh, the, my, one thing I'm excited about and is that repeatedly from people in the UFO community, they said, this UFO transparency is going to be forced in there or not whether the legislation passes or it doesn't. So just even though they did a cover-up, they blocked all of the transparency initiatives inside of the Senate NDAA, I think a lot more people like David Grush are gonna come forward and tell us a little bit about what they know, and I think we will be just a tiny little bit step closer to understanding the reality and the truth of what is happening. So uh, the reality of it, though, I don't think we'll find out you know, per se or whatever in 2024, but I think we'll have more interesting stuff to cover in 2024 as a result of Dave Grush coming forward, and I'm hopeful for that. Or maybe we'll get disproven the other way. Either way, I'll take it. Indeed. I think that's good for people. So obviously 2023 was a year with a lot of clouds, a lot of very dark clouds, but that's why we said, all right, well, let's try to look for a silver lining Mm -hmm. in some of this. And for me, um, it was the way that we've seen, you know, in the wake of Roe versus Wade being overturned, that people have really shown up to try to reclaim or protect um, their rights at the ballot. The abortion rights have won in every single ballot test where they have been um, on, you know, where voters have had a chance to go and weigh in. They have won in seven different states since it was originally overturned in June of 2022. And we just saw one of these in Ohio um, in this past off-year election. So to me, that's, you know, obviously I didn't support Roe versus Wade being overturned, but it it is at least encouraging Mm -hmm. the backlash to that and how many people have flooded the polls to try to reclaim the rights that they have lost. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, nobody expected it. I certainly didn't. So it was stunning to the whole chaos thing. Uh, I'll put mine here up on the screen. We can put this up there, uh, which is about Ukraine. And that's the reality setting in on the ground in Ukraine. And that might sound callous, but I really believed since the day of the invasion that this was the most precarious situation in the world just because of nuclear weapons. I think our policy uh, has just been a total disaster. Thousands of Ukraine, tens of thousands of Ukrainian men uh, have now been killed. You've got hundreds of thousands who are injured. Just yesterday, I read a story about a freaking 47-year-old guy who was kidnapped off the street, too poor to bribe his way out of the draft, and now is on the front line serving in an infantry, infantry division. And he's upset about it. He says, physically, I cannot handle this. I wish I was 20 years younger. So look, we need to put an end to this situation for the Ukrainian people, for the global, you know, for the good of peace. I still believe, even with Israel, Hamas, and all that, this this is one of those situations where you are just one bad moment away from going hot. And uh, it has been a long priority of mine from the day that it happened in order to keep and try and stop you know, the ongoing insanity. And I think that the vibe shifted completely because of the failure of the Ukrainian counteroffensive. And I hope in the next year that we will see peace uh, come to that region, or at least, you know, an attempt and an acknowledgement of that 
for the future. Yeah, That's what I would I hope. I certainly hope so. Um, yeah. All right, our last category is what was the biggest plot twist? Yes. Or what have you got for this one? Well, this is one I've been meaning to do for a long time. Uh, Israel Hamas happened, so obviously I was just going to put it in the show. But it is about Hassan Minaj. And I got to be honest, you know, I did a monologue about Hassan Minaj, uh, about how the New Yorker exposed him. I, I still think he plays into identity politics tropes and others that I vehemently disagree with. But one of the stories in that New Yorker article was accused Hassan Minaj of lying about how he was rejected from the prom because uh, his prom or his like possible prom date's parents were racist. And I gotta say, I listened to Hassan's rebuttal whenever it came out, I guess a month and a half or so ago, and I, he convinced me, at least on this one point, he absolutely convinced me. I'll play some of it for you right now if you didn't hear it. First, I wanna talk about how and why I was rejected from prom. Now, let me first say this I am 38 years old with a wife and two kids. I do not give a shit about prom. But it's a big story from my first stand-up special and the New Yorker implied that I made it all up and that my race wasn't a factor in my rejection. But it was, and I have the evidence to prove it. He's got, look, he's got like a 20-something long vid minute video. He's got the receipts. Uh, he goes through some of the other allegations. Does he have what, like emails or what's the- what He's got text saying? messages, oh, emails, really? oh, like wow. her saying this and this, acknowledging, you know, that some stuff happened in the past. I mean, look, it's on the prom thing, it's, there's no Open question and about it. Like she absolutely railroaded him. And on some of the other ones, wow. I wouldn't say she railroaded him as much on the other ones, but she definitely misconstrued some of the things that he said. And she did not include the fulsome nature of his response. So I got to own up to it. Hassan, I apologize. Uh, that's one of those where, you know, I, I fell victim. I, I'll say this too about, you know, the belief in the mainstream media and all mm. that. This wasn't even me trusting the New Yorker. It just looked factual. And I know that reporter, I followed her for years now, Claire Malone, mm. who used to work over at 538. So yeah. I was like, man, if this is Claire Malone's work, you know, this is somebody who I know and I've trusted her work for a long time now. Uh, the response, you know, the, all the way that it was presented, it looks totally ironclad. He, also, he did not have any comment immediately in the aftermath. Mm. So you couldn't help but just that think like, oh, on his this, it was a huge mistake on his part. I, I, I agree with you. But after the fulsome nature of it all came out, I'm like, all right, you got to give it to the man. And I've been meaning to do this for a while. So Hassan, here's to you. What did, has she responded to the fact? Stand by they, the story, which is bullshit. Come on. You know, they haven't done a correction. No, they no correction. They stand. They said they stand by it 100%. That, and that calls into question yeah. the whole now, thing. Yeah, exactly. So the now I'm like, thing. is this whole thing? It's Because that makes it right. clear like, oh, this was a hatchet job. Right. You had a story right. you wanted to tell yeah. about this and you were trying to fit the facts into what you wanted to say. And so, yeah. It does and he had personal consequences thing. from what I can see. I mean, he didn't get the Daily. I mean, I don't know if he would want the Daily Show position. But I would I would tell him not to take it, yeah. uh, given where that show has gone. But he probably didn't get a job up uh, because of it, and you know uh, that doesn't sit, that doesn't sit right with me. So, that could uh, also play into why he didn't respond. You know, it may have been that they mm -hmm. told him like you just never know behind the scenes what yes. pressures he was under to just like stay quiet on it right. and hope that it goes away. Anyway, no all right, our apologies to Hassan yes. for you know not believing him in the first place. That's right. All right, my plot twist is. Do you guys remember back when Mayor Eric Adams was elected mayor of New York City? And there was Absolutely. all this chatter. Oh, he's the next Democratic presidential candidate. And this guy's a superstar. And he's showing how to win and showing Democrats how it's done. Well, that has now completely flipped to him giving answers like this one. Mr. Mayor, we've come to the end of what was a very eventful 2023, right? <laughs> so when you look at the totality of the year, if you had to describe it, and it's tough to do, in one word, what would that word be? and tell me why. Uh, New York. 
this is a place where every day you wake up, uh, you could experience everything from a plane crashing into our trade center to a a person who's celebrating a new business that's open. Uh, this is a very, very complicated city. I'll be Ooh. honest with you. I just really wanted to play that clip in the show. Because yeah. every part of it, you know what really bugs me the most? Is mm. he asks him for one word. Right. And then he says New York, which is two words. And then it just gets more and more absurd from there. And he's like, it's amazing. You can wake up and see a plane fly into the World Trade right. Center or... Someone opening a small business. Yeah, you know? I have no it's an incredible city. That is one of the most what? what the fuck moments that I've ever seen. Where it's I, like, dude, what is wrong with you? Also, if you were a family of 9 11, right? Like, you'd be like, yeah, that was actually the worst day of my life. Right. So thanks for reminding me of that. What's wrong with you? Man? Incredible. Like, I, yeah. I love how the interviewer just keeps his like interview. I feel like he didn't on too. I feel like he had you know a list of questions and he he didn't even play. I mean, you know how it is. Like sometimes people are talking, you you've got other stuff and you want to make sure you're ready for the next question especially, and all that. I don't think he realized what was being said. Especially when you're throwing out like the softest yeah. of softballs <laughs> of all time. And so yeah, your brain probably just like checks out. Like oh, I'm sure he'll right. say something, you know, anodyne here right. and we'll move on to the next one or wrap it up or whatever. And instead he just Gives the most ridiculous and hilarious answer of all times. I appreciate yeah. it. I thank him for that moment. It's like, thank you, Mayor. Adams. I would have expected him just to like say a lyric from NYC <laughs> from Annie or something. It's like, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, like, right. It's just like, uh, anyway. All right. Thank you, Mayor, Mayor Adams. Yes. And thank you to all of you for being with us this year, trusting us to cover news that has been oftentimes very difficult, very challenging, uh, very complex. We are going to be off next week. Um, but I'm going to look to do, Sagar's going to be out yeah. and out, but if big things break on Israel or anything else, I'll do some little updates for you guys. And we also have additional content that, um, we're looking forward to you all getting to check out. And I did a long interview with, uh, Norm Finkelstein and, uh, Sagar sitting down with Tucker Carlson. So definitely look for those, um, as well. There you go. Take advantage if you can. We're going to be releasing them earlier to our premium subs. Otherwise, I will see you all in the new year. Happy holidays, guys. See you in the new year. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.